I bet you I can go a whole uh, episode without talking about the Barbie movie. <laughs> Dang it, too late. We're going to talk all about how to dress for summer. And I am going to tell you how to be a hot boy. I'm going to tell you about the most important aspect of fashion, data. And then finally, where this brand is going next. That's today on the GenSpec Fashion Cast. What's most important to you in life? Don't hold it too tight. It might slip away. So I don't know if I am some sort of genius or just some sort of prodigy or maybe just got really lucky. But um, just by my own dressing of myself, I seem to have um, come across a trend in men's fashion that apparently has been going on uh, TikTok because it's mentioned in this article that I have in front of me. Uh, But I got to be honest with you, I don't really go too much on TikTok. Uh, I get my information from other places. So if something pervades TikTok, um, I am, let's just say lucky if it makes it to me. And usually there are some things that are pretty big news that might happen on TikTok. I usually just hear about the absurd stuff like the pink sauce thing where a woman got really, really uh, good results with organic TikTok marketing for something called pink sauce, which was like a food item. And then it started shipping out and it just kind of blew up in her face because she, uh, all of her, what they call um, user-generated content started coming in and people were like, um, this isn't the same color. It tastes weird. Um, it's spoiled (laughs) all this stuff. The bottle was broken. The top was broken. So it went from being really, really explosive, good PR to like the bad, the worst kind of PR that you don't really want ever. Um, but I'm, you know, uh, to go viral on any sort of social media platform, is definitely an accomplishment as long as it's for the right things like not like you're uh, beating someone up and then that goes viral Um, unless that's like your brand unless that's on brand then that's fine so uh, this is a an article by Irene Kim it's from June 28th it's now July 8th which means that the uh, you know what movie is coming out in like 20 days or something like that a little over two weeks it's the 21st and uh, the only reason why I know that is because it factors into something that I have a cooking um, which will be unleashed here pretty shortly Um, I'm actually waiting on some basically voiceover talent to come back so we can put together an ad 
And um, that's what you do, you know, if you are into marketing or um, you want to see what people think about a product. Let's, uh, you know, even talking about uh, pink, pink sauce, or whatever it was called, pink gop. Um, that blew up organically. Just it was one of those things. It was like the, you know, let me give you an example. Is that too? That's like, you know, oh, uh, don't come out here to Lincoln Park. Because they're killing, uh, they're climbing in your windows. Um, and he went viral really quickly overnight and seemingly kind of disappeared out of the spotlight also very quickly. Um, although that's pretty much the fate of most brands, of most music, like artists, bands. Um, not to be nihilistic, but it's, it's true. Um, even you know, something that's regarded as like a staple in the culture, for example, like Sears, you know, um, the Sears catalog used to be a big thing. And now department stores are really not as big as they used to be. And so Sears is not the same thing that it used to be. Uh, Plymouth is a, an American was an American car company, and they used to be pretty big as well. Um, as far as like, when cars were becoming more ubiquitous, um, when it was like Japanese cars versus German-made cars versus American-made, Plymouth was actually a pretty big mainstay along with, you know, of course, Ford, which was like a forerunner um, in the market, in the rush to the PTM, the product to market. They were like, I mean, some of the stuff, it goes back and you take people like me who just hop on and, you know, uh, hop into the infrastructure. And that's cool, too. Because it's like, let me give you another example. You know, we keep we're very layered here, um, and very uh, not dense, but um, very uh, nuanced. It's a perfect word for that. So um, take like uh, what's his name, um, Michelangelo, right? He made pr some pretty amazing art in his lifetime. Painted the Sistine Chapel, made the Statue of David. Um, there's a lot that Michelangelo did, uh, but he didn't invent, you know, um, there are a lot of things that he didn't do to get that final product out. You know, he didn't mine the, he didn't quarry, uh, mine the quarry to, um, get the marble slabs and, uh, he didn't, you know, forge his own chisels or anything like that. Um, he didn't write the story that he took the, the biblical narrative from, which is, you know, David and Goliath. Um, and, um, that may sound kind of absurd. It's like, well, yeah, no, of course he didn't. But if you really think about it, he delivered something, for example, the statue of David, you know, it's in Rome, uh, which is in Italy. And it's one of the most visited, most famous, uh, iconic pieces of Western art from the classical era. And, um, it's that means something because take someone who was really popular in like let's say music in the 90s I don't know Missy Elliott for example just off the top of my head um, she doesn't have the, the same um, cultural staying power that she did back then she has like this niche uh, awakening market like uh, that became kind of backwards um, aware of 90s trends and y2k trends which we'll also touch on because it's it's not going anywhere <laughs> and i'm i'm down with that um i really uh love going on pinterest and just looking at y2k stuff but i can only do it so long before 
my soul starts to hurt and I start to yearn for simpler, uh, easier times um, when I had no worries. But um, I also didn't have uh, an outlet. So, you know, it's yin and yang. So um, she was big, you know, just like the Backstreet Boys were really big. Uh, Britney Spears was really big. Um, NSYNC were, was really big. Uh, but they are not uh, regarded in the same way as, say, the Statue of David, which has withstood, I would say, like a, over 1,500 years, maybe 1,700 years, maybe over 2,000. I, I, without looking, um, I think it was like a few centuries uh, AED, as they refer to it, um, which is like Latin for modern. Uh, modern day <laughs> who knows who cares right it's like what am and pm stand for who cares um so um the point being that you can still come into a a uh, sphere or a realm and start creating it in it and you can still do something that's really powerful so the first example i was giving was picasso you know um, he didn't invent oil painting. In fact, one of the things that he's known for is subverting the traditional uh, way of painting and really latching on to a trend, which was cubism, which basically just means that you are looking at an object and you're including multiple perspectives in one piece. So from if you look at, let's say, pre-Renaissance, uh, um, it was what was called... Um, it was before they um, started playing with perspective and everything was supposed to be very true to reality. That's why you have, you know, these paintings where it's like you look at a person who's rendered in like the classical way and, you know, their hand appears to be um, uh, proportionate. It all appears, it's almost like you're looking at something that's like a recreation of life even though it's not painted to look like a, a photo, like a direct one-to-one replication, it still tries to really represent, let's say if it's if they're drawing like a person, a lot of times they would draw like biblical scenes or if we're going like ancient Greece, ancient Rome, they would draw people from the, um, from the Apollyon, from the uh, Pantheon. You know, they were drawing like... Um, uh, Hercules and Athena and Zeus um, or if you were looking at Roman they were painting like um, Apollo and uh, Mercury uh, and um, Mars God of Mars so um, they were still painting these really really realistic and then the Renaissance happened and that's when people started playing with perspective um, and you get tons of really cool stuff that, that happens um, without going too much into art history. Uh, but it's obviously fascinating and it still is relevant today because everyone is um, putting their own take on things. And they're all, you know, you, you wake up and you realize that you're creative. And so you have an inclination to create, you know, um, you have a uh reason maybe it's i don't think it starts off as selfish really because a lot of people are creative from being from since when they're a child 
Um, maybe that's not the case for everyone. There's like a legend that Van Gogh didn't start, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, the painter, didn't start painting until he was like 40. And he's also one of the most influential and uh, famous and remembered and iconic Western painters. Um, he's known for his play with uh, perspective, like the, the chair, or uh, there's like the bedroom, where it's really like kind of, it's just really, you can tell that the the uh, horizontal, like the horizon lines, they call them the, like the vanishing point, the lines that come from the vanishing point, which is, you know, the where all the the lines of your sight, if you're looking out, everything would converge. Um, and they really didn't even understand this type of stuff um, as much as after they developed the camera because they realized kind of, you know, what perspective was. It even changed their outlook on what perception was in general. And I only know that because my sister gave me a book for Christmas called uh, Ways of Seeing, and it's from like the 70s, I want to say. And uh, they brought that to my attention. And uh, it's true and also pretty interesting. that. And also, I feel like nowadays people with the internet and with modern technology now, people see... Um, things a lot in that way you know they'll be like oh well I have um they'll be like and this is also something I don't remember where I heard but um is pretty common where when they started when they invented the printing press for example they started saying things like oh you gotta you know start with a clean slate you have to uh you know turn the page you're starting a new chapter in life, um, the language kind of evolved, um, yeah, it, it kind of evolved to mirror the modern invention of the time, you know, it was like, oh, um, it's, uh, you know, hot off the press, you know, um, just all these colloquialisms have evolved out of that. The same thing was true with modern technology. Um, and, um, in a lot of different ways, um, if you like, let me give you an example. When when the telephone became ubiquitous, you know, early '90s, uh, late late '80s, when everyone had a telephone in their in their homes, um, you know, it was like, well, don't um, leave someone hanging. You know, don't um, just leave them on the hook or whatever. There's something. There's something there. So um, it's pretty common. And so anyway, someone uh, steps into the modern arena. And they just start creating. And I can only speak for people that I know who uh, not only I would consider creative, but have also said to themselves, and it's not a pretentious thing, but they say to themselves, hey, I'm a creative. I like doing this. And that's a big thing is that it's like, I like doing it and I have a draw to do it. And maybe you are like me where you get to the point where you um, decide, okay, well, how uh, how far can I go with this? Where can I take this? Um and again, it's not a selfish thing at all. Um, it's also, n- n- there's nothing wrong with that too. Because I know a lot of people will poo-poo like capitalism and stuff. And, you know, that's a whole, that's the, a different podcast, I think. Um, there's like hundreds or thousands of them. So, um, but even if you are wanting to share your art with the world, um, there's a, you know, I graduated with an English degree and um, you learn a lot about Emily Dickinson. Or even if you're talking about like ancient history, like Marcus Aurelius, what they wrote ended up being really um, influential. But 
Emily Dickinson, for example, didn't publish her stuff. She didn't say, like, I'm going to be a famous writer. My name is Emily Dickinson. I want everyone to read me. I want to be studied. I want to be taught in, uh, taught to, to people in their 20s who are trying to get an English degree. I'm Emily Dickinson. Instead, what she did was she wrote her, I believe it was poems. It's been a while. Um, her writing, I'm pretty sure it was poems, poetry. Um, and she rolled it up into little wads and then she would stick it in the walls, like in the cracks in the, her wall. So, you know, the other thing is like, it's like if you're putting it in a wall, maybe part of you also knows like, hey, someone's going to find this someday. Um, but then again, if that was the case, then that would mean that she was aware that it wasn't going to be in her own lifetime. Uh, most likely, you know, it's like, it's like if you write a message on the bathroom stall, for example, which honestly, I don't, I think I've done maybe once. I think I've done that maybe once. And then I was like, why did that was, now I'm like one of these dumb people <laughs> that writes like, you know, dumb stuff on the bathroom wall. And then I gave it up. Um, but it's like, you're never going to see the fruit of that. You know, it's kind of just like something that you throw out into the ether and you can have an, uh, you can imagine what it's going to be like, and you can probably predict with a measure of, of, uh, certainty what the reaction to that is going to be, but you'll never get to see it. And so it's like, well, then some people would say, well, what's the point? It's a very deep philosophical question for sure. Um, but it's all it's also important you know when it comes to any sort of design um and design by the way is different from art because design has an end point in mind um and it generally is um it has different um um like re requisites for what's considered good or not so if you have uh just briefly I want to delve into that because let's say I'm trying to d design a teapot and people are, you know, I live in, let's say, just really simplified things. Um, I live in like a 10-person village. And we need something to make hot drinks with. Someone has invented hot drinks. And, you know, we are, for whatever reason, we have decided, okay, a teapot. Like maybe we want to boil the water so there's no like cholera in it you know um if we lived in like the 1910s or or 18 somethings so if i am like okay i'm going to design a teapot you know for lack of a better word um which one would be a better design one that has a handle or one that doesn't have a handle and this is just an example i'm just coming up with right now the one that would be better design would be the one that would have the handle because then your hand wouldn't have to touch the part that gets hot you know, that you put on the fire. And so objectively, even though there's, uh, there are buttheads out there who will, you know, try to say, well, like, <laughs> there are different ways that you can come at that and be like, well, you know, that's just your opinion. Uh, you can't really objectively arrive at that conclusion. Uh, but to me, it's pretty obvious. Um, and to me, there also are universal truths, uh, which is why logic itself works uh, the way that it does, like very simple, you know, um, if, um, you say, um, I have a, the letter a, and then I have the letter B 
those two things aren't equal because by definition you have A, which is by definition not B, and then you have B, which is by definition not A. And so it's only if I change that A, that excuse me, that B to an A, well now you have a pair, you have two A's. But that's because you change the B to an A because the B is different from A. So even though I'm only talking about the first two letters of, of the alphabet, the, the logic from that extends to just about anything. Like that's when something is logically sound or what they call valid, uh, that means that you can swap them out. So I can also say like, okay, well, if I have a Ford and a Plymouth, the Ford is different from the Plymouth by definition because it's a Ford and a Plymouth. If I were to change that Plymouth to an, a Ford, now I have a pair. I have a pair of Fords, but that's only because I changed the Plymouth into a Ford so that it matched the first object. I changed it because by definition it can't, it can't be a Ford and a Plymouth at the same time. And if I want it to match the first one, which is a Ford, and I have a Plymouth, I'm going to have to change it from a Plymouth to a Ford. And now I have a pair of Fords. <laughs> so there's your logic lesson. Um, which is funny because it's like whenever, because I studied to take the LSAT and, you know, boohoo, uh, another, well, I, I did okay, but I canceled my score and I decided not to go and now here I am. But when you learn logic, um, for example, enough to take the LSAT, which is, will drill you. The LSAT will not just tell, tell you about, or try to test your logic, like what I was just doing is just, you know, I'm just um, extrapolating, you know, logic. It's like, well, yeah, no, duh, like a Ford and a Plymouth aren't the same thing, but it's like, well, if you really drill down, um, that's kind of where you start to get into, like, logical territory, like the logic of it, um, the nature of relations. And um, they, uh, it's it's crazy because sometimes, you know, those those things are universal and they're, in my experience, um, one of the few things that I would say is not only universal, but it's like you can't really um, disagree with it, but that's where it gets into kind of shaky territory because then uh, when you get into, let's say, um, when, you know, in, in logic and in law, um, not that I'm a lawyer, um, but I, I probably could have been, you know, but, uh, they call it an argument. It's not necessarily like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong because I said you're wrong. It's like, it's not It's not that. It's just, the, the definition of an argument is just something that you're claiming to be the truth and then you have a backing statement or what, you know, evidence or a claim that you have evidence. So if I say like, oh, this guy is a murderer because he killed someone, okay, uh, well, that that makes sense because you, uh, if we agree on the fact that a murderer makes you, means that you killed somebody, so it follows, as they say, in log in logic land, that if uh, a murderer is someone who killed somebody and he's and he killed someone, then that makes him a murderer, and we can agree on that. Um, logically, if we're just looking at it on the base, the base or the um, surface level rather of the wording but then if you you can see how something like that would be very simple but then when you get into the real world people will say th 
things, and this is just completely off the top of my head, you know, but just it really does kind of manifest like this, where people will say, well, no, that's, you know, that's not the reason why someone, that doesn't make them a murderer. <laughs> things like that along those lines are like, well, it's not their fault that they're, that they were that way. They were put in bad situations when the original logical uh, formula, you could say, is if you kill someone, you're a murderer. He killed someone, therefore he's a murderer. And that's like it, really, plain and simple. Um, and um, that's what is universal is is you can make all those other arguments, but those are kind of what they call um, um, arguments that build on to other arguments. Like they're buttressed. I can't think of the word. Um, but there's like an architecture of them, you know. So, oh, scaffolded. There's, that's a scaffolded argument. Um, you start making those, it's like, well, you know, he's a murderer, but that's only because our modern legal system defines a murderer as someone who kills them. It's like, okay, well, then now we're going to, you know, that's a whole, like, um, scaffolded argument. But if you just go down to the basic, it's like, okay, if green is, if... Uh, Money is green, and I have some, and I have money. Then I'm, I have something that is green. It's like, yep, that makes sense. But if I have, if money is green, and I have something that's green, I don't, I don't necessarily have money. Maybe I have an apple. <laughs> this is the uh, Logicast. That's my next project. Go to Logicast. Uh, sucks.net and uh, we'll talk all about logic so anyway we want to expand and then we want to draw and pare down p-a-r-e not p-a-i-r so there is no objective uh, good maybe when it comes to just art you know maybe you get something out of it the the way that I um will address that is that it's all about what I call your ability to experience the sublime, which to me is just, it's really this, um, it's kind of this, um, indescribable, um, way of enjoying something. Like when I hear a song that I like, um, sometimes it almost feels like it's like a high that you get. Um, but the weird thing about the sublime is that it's really fleeting. So, and then it also, um, it, it relies on novelty. So for example, you know, a song will get old and then it'll, sometimes you'll listen to it and you'll be like, Oh man, like trying to recreate that feeling and it doesn't go. Or, you know, the thing about paintings is that you may fall in love with the painting and you may stare at it for, you know, or look at it so many times, you know, or, you know, I don't want to say you stare at it for hours or anything because I don't think, I mean, some people do that or used to do that, but it just takes up the entirety of your, your, your experience and it's, it's pleasant. So you're looking at it, it takes up the entirety of your experience and that experience is pleasant. So for a second, you're kind of, you, you forget about all the stuff that you had that was preoccupying you and you're just experiencing this this peace 
And when you reflect, when you come out of that, like the experiencing part, it's the experience then is is an affirmative, an affirmation where you say, yes, that was good. You see it for what it was, uh, but because it relies on novelty, <laughs> that's why it's fleeting, which is uh, strange, but uh, this is a philosocast. So something to consider. And that's why I don't go on TikTok. But apparently the short shorts that uh, I wore for my birthday are a massive trend. So apparently this is something that's been going on uh, TikTok for a while. Um, So I want to go ahead and read. This is Irene Kim, June 28th. This is an article. And it says, and this is obviously um, somewhat out of date. It was a hot boy summer at Men's Fashion Week. Along with short shorts, the list of essentials includes knit tanks to show off your arms and multi-purpose bandanas. So, there you have it. Which is uh, two things that we've mentioned on this program before, which are um, the fact that if you're a dude, it's cool if you wear short shorts, it's totally fine. Um, as long as you're comfortable with it and people can tell if you are uncomfortable. So if you want to have a positive effect with your clothing, wear something that makes you comfortable because if you're radiating discomfort, um, it generally doesn't have a positive effect. And again, that's relying on the fact that we can agree that there are, um, objective, like good or bad. like, you know, a good teapot has a handle (laughs) type of thing. A good outfit is one that you're comfortable in, in the same way that a teapot needs a handle. There you go. There's there's logic for you, fashionized. All right. And uh, so they're already dressing for so, uh, spring 2024, whereas I live in 2029, just so you know, is how fashion forward you know, someone in my position has to be. So, short shorts um, and bandanas are apparently a thing. Uh, with with men, I trust uh, I trust the men that I know to come up with their own fashion decisions. But the one thing that I would say is, um, I I have a pair of shorts that I crop down, and they're like the pair that I reach for when I need to go out and run an errand because it's really hot right now and um you know no one ever stops me and says hey what what are you wearing if i were to wear like let's say i were to wear like a speedo you know it's it's odd how there are like different levels to it um i guess even uh literally there are levels and um some people might say like, well, why are you wearing no pants? You know, but if you have a short and then this this particular article says it's like a five inch above the knee is like people are daring to go that high. It's like, OK, if you're five inches off off above the knee, <laughs> that's apparently socially acceptable. Uh, and I can what do you call it? Uh, I can report that that's the case. I can confirm that. Uh, but don't go into public wearing a speedo, um, unless you're in places that allow it. 
Um, and if that's your bag, go go right ahead. So that's for my fellas. And uh, speaking of which, I uh, have been running ads. Let's let's get down to the knit grit. Um, hashtag knit grit section of it. Um, essentially, I I ran a. I've been running ads when I have like extra money that I want to put into ads, because um, right now um, it's mostly just I'm in the testing phase. Um, generally, I don't draw drive people to the website and then they go on a spending bonanza. Although that would be nice. Um, so um, I got I, I I found a post that when you monetize it it starts putting it in front of people who don't follow you. Um, but of course you're trusting like the algorithm to know who you want to target and there's different targeting options, but that's a whole nother, that's market Ocast, uh, which I'm happy to, to start, but, uh, one of them would have to suffer, you know, it's like, uh, can't have two masters. Um, so, uh, one of them was doing really well. And when I got the demographics back, it was like mostly dudes in their 20s, early early 20s. And it, it was striated, as they say. It was like a, a uh, inverted pyramid. So the biggest group was the tw- like 20 up to 24-year-olds. And then it went to like the 25 to 30s was a smaller section. And then the 30 to 35 was a smaller section. And the 40s was a smaller section. So, you know, to all my young fellas... Get at me. That's a that's who we're uh, talking to, and that's a okay with me, as long as you have a sense of humor and you want to learn from someone who um, lives and breathes this stuff. And um, and then also one thing um, that I want to bring to the table is also that I care about um, that people have a resource for this so people that I know in my life that fashion is not only like an afterthought it's like something that they um they actively um resist it you know it's almost like a point of uh of contention for them it's a point of of, uh personal um I would say like at, at its most like when you really drill down to it it's it's almost like a point of suffering if you think about it and so I'm not saying that by selling them a t-shirt or you know a bag or something um that we're going to solve suffering but in the same way that a great piece of art is uh the enjoy uh enjoyment that you get out of it is also a fleeting thing just like everything right if we're drilling down then also maybe we can give them a shirt that one is is going to ease their burden about, you know, what am I going to wear? You know, what's it going to say about me? Um, is it something that, how, how are people going to respond? How am I going to be perceived? If we can ease that thought process and kind of just, you know, wax over it and just, you know, be like, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm like you, except there's a different part of me that um, is willing to put a foot into this realm and that's also because it's it's like a lot of those creative things where it's like I didn't I didn't go out and say like man um, I really want to be into 
writing, marketing, fashion, and graphic design. Go, you know. The day I was born, I was like, Mom, or when I was old enough to talk, you know, I know what I like to do. Um, but even back then, you know, I had already known. Um, and uh, our uh, my sister and my parents um, really encouraged us to explore those creative avenues. And uh, luckily, we live in a time where um, it's called the long tail. It's called the long tail uh, economics, where there's a big open market for um, really niche uh, type of products and different creators, like, for example, Mr. Beast, you know, just utilized YouTube as a platform and became very successful with it. Um, do I watch Mr. Beast? No, I've never even seen a Mr. Beast episode. I know what he looks like because I saw him on a magazine cover at a 7-Eleven the other day. So he has transcended internet dumb and made it into consumer um, reality and, and economy. And that says a lot because, I, I mean, what was he selling? He was just selling content. He was just selling entertainment, relatability, ideas really at the at the end of it and entertainment that's a weird one you know because i'll tell you i went to this is a this is a different day um it was today i was walking into another gas station because apparently i spend uh like a third of my life walking through gas stations but walking up they had a red box rental kiosk and it was like uh, pick two for up to $2 and some odd change. And I looked at the titles and one of them was like some animated feature that probably cost a lot of money, a lot of time, effort, talent to, to produce. Um, the other one was Magic Mike's Last Dance or something like that. It was Last Something, Magic Mike's Last Rodeo. And the other two were like some, you know, action thrillers or whatever. And I thought, you know, Hollywood movies take um, so much money and also time and effort, talent, you know, that's that's not really my uh, medium to judge, but they do take a lot of money to create, you know, in the millions, um, and they have strict shooting schedules, they have very rigid contracts, there's a lot that goes from um, someone saying like, hey, you know what would make a good movie? You know, there's a man named Magic Mike, and he's a male stripper. And uh, yeah, we could uh, really make this into a, a three-part trilogy or whatever, how many, however many there are, you know, uh, a legacy where the last one, people will know it's the last one because it'll be, it'll say Magic Mike's last uh, ride or whatever. And uh, there he'll be, Channing Tatum, um, and he'll be shirtless on the box uh, art. And you can see the movie for $2, you know, so walking up to a gas station i can see this million dollar production for less than some of the drinks that they have in for sale inside and so it's uh, you know as far as entertainment goes if you think about it you know i have youtube premium because i watch quite a bit of youtube and i don't want to watch quite a bit of advertisements um 
so I pay for it, but YouTube's free. I mean, as long as you have internet, I guess you go to the library, you know, where there's free internet. And um, so it really, the, the dollars that people are willing to put behind whatever it is they consume, you know, coming back to the pink goop example, you know, some random lady on TikTok, they're willing to buy condiments from, you know, whereas a generation before it was like, oh, well, Heinz 57, gotta have my Heinz 57 and you gotta hit it right here on this part of the bottle to get it to come out. And um, craft mustard, it's like the age of uh, the Titans are, is over now. Um, just like the uh, book, The Long Tail, says they've democratized, this is almost quoting verbatim, but they've democratized the means of production and also they've democratized the means of distribution, which means that not only can I go and become a graphic designer you know, if I want, uh, for a for a way that's in a way that's affordable, I can even start a podcast and, uh, put out a, uh, a weekly, um, periodical on Substack, which I do. And for all intents and purposes, you know, I can even start a, a brand and a company, which I did. And it's all on a single income and it was all out of pocket. Um, which means that there haven't been really any major investments, which I've been thinking about, of course, I'm always thinking. But uh, I was able to do that and get it dis distributed, and it goes to the same places that the major players are distributed as well. Um, it's in the same storefronts, and um, Longtail has kind of shown that there's kind of niche audiences for everything. So even if you would say, okay, well, you put your podcast on Spotify. Well, what's going to make someone listen to you over, say, like Joe Rogan? And uh, obviously, it's a different, d different offering than Joe Rogan. But for some people, it'll be the fact that it's not Joe Rogan. For some people, they'll be like, well, I have endless, endless podcasts. You know, for some people, it is the fact that they found something that's obscure that has 12 listeners. And then maybe they stop listening when it has 24, because now it's not underground enough. Um, it really is a uh, strange glimpse into uh, human psychology as if buying pink goop that you saw on a video wasn't. Uh, but she, I think, was a very good salesperson, you know. Just how, um, like, Gordon Ramsay, I think, is a really good salesperson, even though he's not like a Billy Mays type where it's like, you know, hey, here, 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 have no fear. Billy Mays here. I'm going to show you Flex Funko tape. You know, he's just very more withdrawn it's like the uh, searing coal versus the burning um, the raging brush fire you know those are two ways to look at it okay so we're developing the uh, target audience uh, we got new uh, insane new projects on the way believe me when I say that but uh, we're still looking at fashion as a whole which traditionally has been a primarily uh, I would say female targeted um, er, uh, area uh, and arena. Um, it's also something that a lot of women enjoy. So, for example, if you go on to like Udemy or Fiverr Learn and you go into stuff that's about fashion, a lot of times your teacher is going to be a woman. And there are 
I think unless you really hyper specify, they're going to be talking about women's fashion. They're like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to design your first halter top. It's like men don't traditionally say like, hey, I want to, you know, what's my go to summer halter top? But we're still going to talk about it. So this is uh, by Guess Who? It's by Christian Allaire, who's uh, my favorite uh, co-Hispanic. And uh, it's edited by Alexis Bennett. So I think we've seen this uh, duo before. And uh, if you include me, it makes a trio, although they don't know I exist. So um, we're going to talk about summer because it's uh, we're in the midst of it. and uh, But we don't want to lean into the Barbie because that's, man, that's oversaturated. Uh at least not here. So this says, like it or not, the 90s are coming back in a big way via tube tops and strapless dresses. The silhouette has been worn by stars such as Haley Bieber, Emily Ratushkers, and Laura Harrier, which is the name of a jet. Uh, all of whom, I love this, I love this woman, uh, have leaned into a clean, minimal aesthetic. It feels surprisingly modern with, when paired with a sharp shoe and current it bag. So the only thing I can really see about this as being 90s is, like she said, the fact that it's strapless and the fact that it's such a slight, uh, a tight and slim silhouette up top. But one thing that I have noticed um, in my tour throughout the fashion fashion kingdom is that there was something that is a... a sour spot on 90s and Y2K, which was the emphasis on being really, really thin. And so that's just something to consider, you know, um, bulimia, anorexia, you know, um, were a lot higher um, as far as ratings. And I don't have a a reference offhand, but um, there's plenty of it out there. And, um, a lot of the like fashion icons, if you look at them, they had like protruding like shoulder bones, protruding clavicles. Um, heroin chic was a thing in the 90s. And if you're on heroin or like uh, Kate, Kate Moss was like a famous model and she's very, very thin. Um, Callista Flockhart was a celebrity back then. She's very, very thin. A lot of very thin celebrities. So... But it does look good um, aesthetically um, because to me, in a non, non-sexual non way, um, it looks clean, you know. So even though, yes, it does show, like, more skin, obviously, um, it, um, to me, it's, it's aesthetic because of its form. Um, it still has an aesthetic value to it, um, even though... It's it's funny because um, the content that we would want to kind of generate here, it does kind of seek to straddle those lines. And I've noticed as a uh, self-avowed heterosexual man um, through and through that sometimes when you're looking into this realm, um, a lot of it, you do have to kind of turn off that like reptilian side of your brain. Um, if you're really going to look at it objectively and say, okay, like, you know, this is a 90s trend where it's a tight tube top and it's a silhouette, 
you know, and um, you have to, you're not judging it on the basis of like, you know, do I find it like attractive in a, in a way that is not purely artistic? Now, I'm not saying you have to neuter yourself or like disavow it or um, suppress it or repress it. Um, but to be a good fashion commentator, designer, um, or critic, you do. Because I can tell you, um, it's not the only consideration that women um, take. And it, it also, to me, um, it's impossible to, to think that, you know. I mean, clothes have utility. And the utility is not just to reproduce as much as you can, Um has a lot of other, it didn't evolve that way, uh, not even close. So, this is something I like, Y2K style. See, I've always, I like the Y2K more than the 90s. The 90s was very, like, family-friendly and, like, bright. And, uh, you know, like, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And the y, Y2K was like, yeah, man, we're, like, going into the future, brah. And I was alive for it, so... It was very like, yo, check it out, man. I'm on an electronic device and you can like see into it. And you could see like all the motherboard and like the, the chips and stuff in their bras and that tight. Like, hey, I got to spike my hair up with hair gel. So it was very, it's a fun time. Fun time to be on that. Very fun time. Y2K style has been all the rage this year. I love this, by the way. I pre-read it. Did a little pre-reading. And bold graphic tees of the latest piece having a moment this summer. Well, you know where you can get some great bold graphic tees? The Lamb Dog Store. Um, Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, and Cardi B have all been recently spotted in t-shirts that make a statement. It's an easy summer staple. Pair it with a jeans with a jeans or midi skirt, and you've suddenly got yourself a statement look. Yeah. I don't know if I if a uh, jeans I would put in any of my writing but maybe that's a thing that people say because I, st- I uh, can't talk bad about Christian Allaire I just love her too much so I uh, that was intentional she knows what she's doing she's an expert I love her okay Adidas Sambas is something that I've seen quite a bit and I'm sure if you have any um, any uh, awareness of uh women's fashion trends which I don't blame you if you don't um, that is a big thing um, I want to say and this is a land dog TM statement that it is the new women's sneaker replacing the Air Force One alright 2021 is over Some, it's the summer samba so samba yourself into a pair of $100 Adidas today with the samba so maybe it's a thing on TikTok as well, but it's definitely a thing on celebrities. Okay. Um, and so on and so forth. And so the last thing that uh, we want to talk about here is this data article that I came across. This is from July 7th, which was yesterday. It's by a woman named Megan O'Sullivan. And we're going to read here. In an era where runway shows, highly anticipated drops, and celebrity photo shoots are all but inescapable, fashion forecasting and trend tracking is an endurance game. 
So personally, this is an aside. I uh, I don't think it's necessary to like look at the trends. Be like, gotta be with the trends, man. Um, but some people are. That's sort of their business. Um, to me, again, um, I think humor is kind of. Everyone is. To me, it's never never going to go out of style. You know, humor is funny, and funny is good. Um, to really hyper simplify it. So that's why we try to put the lull. And then also the kind of humanistic side uh, into the designs that come out. All right. Uh, identifying recurring themes is akin to a multi-layered research pro- project, but maybe the true results can only be found by looking beyond the confines of our micro-trend-ridden feeds for cold, hard data. That's why Made Puerta, the creator behind Data But Make It Fashion, is applying formulas to fashion. Data But Make It Fashion is a really awesome title. Um, it's apparently for a TikTok channel, which is why I've never heard of it um, presum- presumptuously, presumptively. Putting quantifiable meaning behind trends has made the world of fashion feel more approachable for me, Laporta said. I wanted to bring logic and reasoning. See, it always comes full circle uh, in our talks. It always does. So complete. Uh, she has a hundred and ninety-two point three thousand followers on uh, TikTok. I wanted to bring logic and reasoning into something that is inherently subjective. See, man, full circle on the fashion cast. Her endeavor to translate this is the author. Her endeavor to translate fashion content into clear, conclusive metrics began in twenty nineteen. After watch, this is interesting. After watching McQueen, the documentary based on the life and career of Alexander McQueen. The data scientist felt moved to combine her knowledge in computer science and her passion for clothing. Those are two, yeah. That's why you need an article about someone like this because it's so like unique and odd. It's like, I'm a data scientist who loves fashion. But um, I'm sure that there are like also businessmen as well that are like, yes, what are the metrics? Yes, how many Sambas have sold? How many dollars do we need to put into Samba ads? Um, and um, so she began, La Puerta began experimenting with image recognition models to detect recurring silhouettes, colors, and patterns in runway photos and sharing what she found on social media. At first, it took a lot of throwing stuff at the wall to find out what people are really drawn to. Hey, preach it, sister. She shares, I wanted to see what new interesting insights I could form on this industry and learn that, like me, people want to see a con- concrete depiction of trends today the 25 year old creator conducts and shares studies on buzzworthy topics such as taylor swift's complete history of grammy gowns fashion trends as recession indicators (laughs) what and even average site loading times of large luxury brands chanel wins for the fastest holy cow (laughs) oh my god that's awesome With her combined 280,000 followers across Instagram and TikTok. Holy cow, man. She creates engaging memes, graphs, and videos that break down her takeaways. Clear as day, leaving no room for trend confusion. For example, a pensive photo of Cher Horowitz, who is um, the main character from Clueless. uh, Alicia Silverstone is captioned. When people are, as the letter R saying, denim maxi skirts are in style, but you... No interest in them has decreased by 20% this past month. 
In another post, a photo from the 90s of Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell dancing is captioned, When people say Chanel bags are a bad investment, but you know prices have increased over 660% since 1990. This woman sounds like a kingmaker right here. And that is why I leave it to women to be absolute dominant forces in this industry. They have been, they continue to be, they continuously prove themselves to be. I mean, that's just insane if you think about it. And then on top of that, she's found a way to monetize it. Just like they said, it's simplify it for your average Joe who's just like scrolling through. I mean, that's the era that we live in now. A data, a fashion-minded data scientist can amass followers by making content. And you see how hyper-specific that is. It's very hyper-specific. You have to know what she's talking about. And if you do, you probably know what the, the movie Clueless is and care. And you have to know what she's commenting on. And again, that meme she had that were mentioned in that article, one was about denim skirts and one was about Chanel handbags. And I know men like myself are not necessarily well versed on that. So if someone made a joke, which a meme is essentially a joke, right, or a reference, and they're like, oh man, can you believe it? Like, the things are looking up, about as up as the price of Chanel bags since the, the 1990s. Hey, oh, you know, in certain settings, like if you're at like a gentleman's like luncheon for business executives or something, it'd be like, um, is, is that true? I, I don't know. I don't know. How about, you know, acquisition prices for anything west of the East China Sea, uh-huh. you know, their their pool is different. They're, they're using, they have a different set of references. One is not more valid than, than the other. One is not objectively better than the other. But my friend, they are different. <laughs>